podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to Tennis Unfiltered, the Roland Garros Diaries, with me, James Gray of inews.co.uk and the iNewspaper. Um, it is, yes, we are about to start the quarterfinals of the French Open. I, I sort of say it with a slight air of disbelief because it feels like I've been at this tournament for about a month, which is, I imagine, is how the 16 players who have made the quarterfinals feel. It is a long, old schlep, and most of them have been there for, well, where are we? Tuesday, second week now. Most of them will have arrived if they weren't playing elsewhere Monday or Tuesday the week before. So a lot of them will have been here two weeks. And as Igor Shrontek often says, there's no such thing as a day off at a tennis tournament. Even if you're not playing, you're still hitting, you're still thinking, you're still analysing. And so... Yes, I think there probably is a little bit of fatigue starting to set in all round, but that is when the best tennis and the uh, the best intensity is produced. Uh, looking back at yesterday, uh, because I'm recording this on Tuesday morning, as um, I was pretty otherwise engaged last night doing a bit of TV in the US. If you're a US listener and you have Amazon, I don't really know how Prime Video works over there, but I was on Renee Stubbs' Power Hour last night, so you can uh, you might hear some of the same stuff, but uh, you'll be able to see my face and also hear from Renee, who obviously knows a fair bit about Grand Slam tennis as well. Uh, but anyway, moving on from that, uh, the pick of the matches yesterday, well, basically they were all on long length to an extent, because the opening match of the day was Sarah Cerebus Tormo against Beatrice Haddad Meyer. It was the longest match women's match of 2023 so far. The shortest set was an hour and 14 minutes. The longest one, an hour and 23. They went three hours 51 in the end. Uh, Beatrice had a Maya coming from a set down to win 6-7, 6-3, um, I mean, you probably could have predicted that being one of the longest matches of the year when you looked at the two kind of players involved. Because they're both, and I, I don't mean this disrespect, they're both quite grindy. Um, you know, I think Haddad Meyer has made so much progress in the last 12 months because she is incredibly sticky um, and works incredibly hard and is a very difficult player to beat. She's left-handed as well, she's tall, she moves well and... Uh, yeah, I, I, it's exciting to see her in the quarterfinals because I think it's weird. She's someone who's obviously made it up to wherever she is, 14 in the world or so, without ever having made it past the third round of a slam. You know, she's been super consistent at other events, but never, frankly, where it matters because the majority of people don't know your name if you've never made it past the third round of a grand slam. This is where it does really matter. I mean, I, th- I think outside of the French Open, she'd never even made it past the second round of a slam. No, oh, I'm being told, in fact, she had never made it past the second round of a slam. Which kind of makes it all the more impressive that she's got her ranking to where it is. Um, but, yeah, as I say, people don't know who you are unless you're doing it at the really big events. And this is perhaps the first of many. Um, so, which I think would be a positive. Uh, we talk a lot about, she's obviously from Brazil, for people who don't know. And we've talked a lot about how South America is a massive tennis market and it's quite underserved. They obviously have um, 
the sort of little clay court swing after the Australian Open tournaments in Rio and Buenos Aires. But in reality, there aren't enough big tournaments in South America for the number of people who watch and play tennis in that part of the world. And I think what would change it is like one or two or three players from South America consistently, you know, in the top two or three at the latter stages of Grand Slam. So if you saw, let's say, Beatrice had admire consistently up there, um, you know, Francisco Cherandolo, who um, played next on that same court, consistently up there. I don't know, even Nicolas Jarry, who lost to Casper Ruud yesterday. Um, if you had three or four, I mean, I'm not saying Nicolas Jarry is about to be world number three for the record. But if you had three or four players from that region consistently up there, then I think the ATP and the WCA would have to look at it and go, well, maybe, you know, maybe we should stick a Masters event down there or maybe we should have a World Tour Finals down there. You know, WTA World Tour Finals in, like, Buenos Aires or something in November. That would be... I think they'd go pretty mad for that if you got an Argentinian through as well. I think that does look a little less likely on the, the women's side. Um, Nadia Podoroska, I think, is the Argentinian number one, and she's only just inside the, uh, the top 100. But, as I say, there's Beatrice had Maya, and, pff, I mean, Rio de Janeiro, a lot of people there. I imagine there's quite a few tennis fans as well. Anyway, um, yeah, cracking match. Uh, had Maya pretty emotional to have got through it, as you can understand. Um and she now plays on Jabour, who, in total contrast, uh, beat Bernarda Pera 3-1 and one in 64 minutes. Uh, so <laughs> that there's a chance that she might well be quite a bit fresher than uh, Beatrice Hadamaya, who I'm sure today will be spending a lot of time in an ice bath and taking the weight off her legs, I suspect. Um, as I alluded to, that match was followed by Francisco Chirondolo, um, the Argentinian number tw- uh, world number 23 and the number 23 seed. He was up against Holger Rune. Now, Cherondola, a little bit like the two women who preceded him, he is a bit of a grinder, but he's a very capable uh, grinder. He's a very good player. Um, he's obviously got a brother, who people will know as well, um, well, but he's not nearly as talented, I would suggest, as Francisco, who people might remember he played... Andy Murray last year, and actually at the US Open. And actually, by coincidence, there was a similar incident in this match as there was in that one. If you remember, Murray was playing Chirondolo, um, played a drop volley, and uh, Chirondolo ran it down and got there, but it just bounced before he hit it, just bounced the second time before he hit it. Murray stopped, lost a point, um, umpire didn't call it. The replay then came up on the big screen, and both players saw it, and Cherandolo said, no, 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 uh, that's fair enough, yeah, it's your point. And he conceded the point. The umpire wasn't going to change his decision, which is is the rule. There is no video replay, after all. Um, you know, but video review, anyway, by an umpire. It's not allowed, it's not part of the tour. And Murray was very complimentary afterwards. He said not a lot of other players on the tour would have done that, so fair play. And... By kind of bizarre coincidence, the same thing happened. Well, kind of the same thing happened in this match. Weirdly, it was a double bounce at the back of the court, which you so rarely see. You know, it's more often like 
player running to the net to get a drop shot or a drop volley. But Runa was super deep. The ball bounced low, stayed low, and just before he got it back, it bounced again. Quite clearly, actually. But obviously, chairs are a reasonable distance away. Um, and really weirdly, Runa got it back, and Chirindola would have been able to put it away, but he had stopped and complained to the umpire that it bounced twice. And the umpire then gave it as a hindrance because he was talking during the point. So Runa was awarded the point. Um, the replay then did appear on a big screen, as far as I can tell. I don't think the players saw it, but it was pretty clear. It was much more clear than that previous one I was alluding to. Um, so I guess it's just one of those things. It, it does happen. Um, it, it makes a mockery of the fact that we don't have video replay. Um, yeah, I mean... Uh, Runa said, I felt sorry for him. And then I managed to break and hold serve, and then he, after he broke me and it was close again. This is tennis, this is sports, some umpires make mistakes, some for him, some for me, that's life. Like, he's right, that is life, and umpires do make mistakes, and that's fine. But when a mistake can be so easily rectified... You know, if you made it like the Hawkeye Challenge system at Wimbledon, where each player has one video review request per set, you know, you'd very rarely find yourself needing more than one. Um... And it would, you know, the match stops for a minute anyway while they argue about it. So I can't see that it would take much time out of the match. I, as you know, I'm a big fan of making sure tennis matches don't last too long. But I don't see that video umpire video review would add huge amounts of time to it as far as I can tell. Um, but yeah, uh, Holger Runa threw uh, in five sets, 10-7 in a fifth set tiebreak. He did look a bit cooked actually in the fourth set, which he lost 6-1. He, well, it looked like he was going to take a medical timeout, but actually, he just had uh, the the uh, trainer came on and gave him some solubles, presumably because he was just struggling with a little bit of cramp or you know just just low energy, which is kind of understandable at that point. And so he didn't take a medical timeout because you're not allowed to for loss of condition. Uh, but yeah, he kind of rallied in the um, in the fifth set, and well, probably shouldn't have gone to a tiebreak because he did serve for the match at 5-4 uh, and was uh, sorry yeah at 5-4 and was subsequently broken um, but he came through the tie break uh, it was incredibly close I mean he was 7-6 down and then won the next four points um, to, to seal the match the couple of backhands he hit in that tie break were really brave and memorable and it was interesting because actually it wasn't that long a match it was only th- just under four hours which is long but for five sets on clay, you, you might expect it to be even longer. But um, interesting to see how he pulls up. Obviously, he's got a day to recover. And then he faces Casper Ruud, a direct rerun of last year's uh, quarterfinal. Um, a grudge match that that was. For people who don't remember, uh, it was four sets. It was late night. There was a sort of cursory handshake that Ruder made a sort of, all right, okay, that's how it's going to be face. Rude, I should say, made a, oh, that's how it's going to be face afterwards. And then there was the locker room Yargate, where Runa alleged that Rude had come up to him in the locker room and kind of celebrated, you know, the sort of, yeah. And Rude said it didn't happen. Runa's mum said it did happen. Rude's dad said it didn't happen. I mean, you know, brilliant drama. <laughs> 
um, and the kind of locker romantics that we know go on all the time and the Netflix cameras never seem to capture, uh, unfortunately, even though I think they were following Casper Ruud that tournament. I can't remember. They definitely did follow him at one of those tournaments. Anyway, um, yeah, so they will meet again. I think the, the implication is it's all in the past, but I think the intensity of a Grand Slam quarterfinal might open up a few old wounds, so we shall see, and we'll see exactly when that gets scheduled as well. Maybe, I think that could be the night match on Wednesday. I correctly predicted the night match tonight, which is Carlos Alcaraz sits past, so I'm pleased with that. In fact, yeah, unless it's Svantec Goff, which is possible, but they don't like putting women on at night here, as discussed. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on to the other quarterfinal that was set yesterday. Alexander Zverev dispatched Grigor Dimitrov for the loss of just eight games. Uh, I said it to Renee Stubbs last night. I don't like saying it, but Alexander Zverev is looking very good. And I expect him to make the semi-finals now and be a very real candidate to make the final. Because he was playing brilliant clay court tennis before he tore those three ligaments last year. He, I think, has just about got back to that level. Maybe not that level, but his one of his best levels. You know, I was unconvinced by his fitness coming in, but he's shown now, and he's conserved energy really well. Um, you know, beating Dimitrov like that, it's a really important thing to do. He obviously, I think he went to, he dropped one set to Tiafo, which is kind of forgivable. But other than that, he's been pretty efficient. You know, he beat Molchan in the night session last Thursday. Uh, Lloyd Harris in the first round, again in straight sets. So he's doing what he needs to do. And, and frankly, he's got a really good matchup. Uh, I don't know huge amounts about Thomas Martin at Chiveri, But this is obviously the biggest match of his life, a French Open quarterfinal. Um, and yes, he's a good clay quarter, but... Before this tournament, he had won one main draw match at a Grand Slam. So, yeah, he might play with a bit, you know, kind of devil-may-care attitude. And compared to Zverev, who is a pretty nervy guy um, and will have a lot of pressure on him because he's so expected to win, that that may count for something. But I think the, the golf in quality um, is probably going to see him come out victorious uh, you know I don't know I'm, I'm, I've been wrong before but uh, that's just my my guess uh, and now to the other women's quarterfinal that was set yesterday Coco Goff and Iga Shontek both coming through Goff beating Anna Karolina Schmidlova one of George Belkiel's favourites 7-5-6-2 and Iga Shontek coming through against Lesia Serenko who uh, retired 5-1 down the first now, look, I know Serenko, I think that's her fourth retirement of the year. It's her 32nd retirement of her career, which is pretty remarkable. Um, that's across 15 years, I should say, but even so, that's, you know, that is a lot. Um, and uh, to be fair, she looked really ill. Um, like, you know, the doctor was out taking her blood pressure and her pulse and... You know, she she looked so annoyed and she was slapping her thigh in frustration and then she sort of pulled a load of tissues out of her bag that, you know, clearly she was prepared to be blowing her nose because I think she has been ill. She mentioned Rybakina, who withdrew with a virus and there does seem to have been something going around the locker room. Quite a lot of them have been ill. Um, last year it was COVID, 
much. I mean, I know of several players who had COVID in the locker room last year, and no one knew. Well, no one publicly knew. Um, but uh, yeah, there, there's clearly something going around. It does happen. People travel a lot. Immune systems are low. You're in close proximity with a lot of people. Um, I don't know how small the locker rooms are here, but my impression, given that everything else is pretty cramped, is that it probably isn't the most spacious place in tennis. So I'll ask, I'll ask Calvin about that one, but that's my guess. Right, on to the quarterfinals on Tuesday. Karolina Makova and Anastasia Pavlichenkova open up on Chatrier. Um Big match for both of them. I would guess Makova will come through that, but Pavlichenkova is finding her feet brilliantly since injury, and uh, it would be huge for her if she won that. And she's obviously been here before. She made the final here two years ago, so there, there shouldn't be any kind of, oh God, what is this quarterfinal thing? Um, and Makova, similarly, this is not uncharted territory for her, I think I'm right in saying. So, um, you know, both women who've experienced this before, um, albeit Makova not at the French Open. She she has been to quarterfinals, um, obviously at Wimbledon, and she won one in Australia two years ago. Um, but yeah, I, I think I would still back her in that. Then we've got Svitolina against Sabalenka, the, the great geopolitics derby. Um, I would suggest you go and read what I've written uh, for the I newspaper about this. Svitolina... I don't know, I can't pick a winner. I think Sabalenka is the favourite. In fact, I know she will be the favourite with the bookies. But Svitolina's played some great tennis. She's super motivated. And I think it might get under Sabalenka's skin a bit. I think you might see a little bit of a crackle there. Um, she's obviously still not doing public press conferences at the moment. I think that suggests she knows that the whole thing could get to her. And I think Svitolina might get under her skin a bit. So really interested to see how that plays out. Um, I think the the day ascends. Djokovic versus Hatchinov is next. Hatchinov has lost his last seven matches against Djokovic. He's beaten him once in his career, uh, which was the Paris Masters final in 2018. I think I'm right in saying. And, you know, OK, it was in the same city, but couldn't really be in more different conditions um, indoors at Bercy than, you know, outdoors in the heat at, uh, at Roland Garros. And then finally... Uh, Alcaraz sits past the night match tonight. Another really one-sided head-to-head because Alcaraz is 4-0 against Sitsipas. But I think it'll be a really good match. Um, in Barcelona, Alcaraz pumped him, frankly. Sitsipas seemed to want to trade backhands with him and that didn't end well. Uh, I hope that there's a different game plan this time because I think if he goes and tries to just go backhand to backhand again, it'll, it'll end the same way. Um, but... We're two wins away from the Djokovic Alcaraz semi final on Friday, which is kind of what we all looked at when the draw came out and said, Ah, I think I might be booking Friday afternoon off work. I mean, obviously, I'm not booking Friday afternoon off work, but I would suggest that maybe some other people might be best placed to do so. Um, yeah, I, I would still expect Djokovic and Alcaraz to win today. Obviously, they've got the head to head records to go for them, but I would like both of them to be tested. It, it would be nice if they both had to play four sets. And raise their game a bit. And I kind of think they would both think that as well. Like, you know, neither of them have really been pushed. And you can often see Djokovic kind of having to fire himself up because he's winning so easily. 
and I think for that reason he would really appreciate just you know getting pushed a little bit more so uh yeah I think I think he genuinely would like to not have it so easy anyway that is all we've got time for today I will be back tomorrow possibly with George Belshaw the famous and uh yeah you can come back tomorrow and listen to that one Sports Social Podcast Network <laughs>